Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show and happy Friday. Oh, we have a great show lined up for you today. In just a bit, we're going to be joined by Dr. Miriam Grossman. She is so brave and so smart for the latest in the transgender movement plaguing children across the country. Remember, she just wrote the book Lost in Trans Nation. She was featured in What What is a Woman by Matt Walsh at The Daily Wire. And she's one of the few in the psychological community speaking truth about this massive issue. But we begin today with a guest we were originally supposed to speak with on Wednesday, Lawrence Fox, now formerly of GB News. Uh, But we couldn't talk to him on Wednesday because he was arrested that morning. <laughs> the story of his firing and arrest is one of the biggest stories in the UK right now. And there's a lot of warning signs in this story for us here in the US as well. You're going to be able to relate, sadly, to a lot of what's being done to him. Today, he is here with us for his first interview since getting released from jail and getting fired from GB News. Lawrence, so great to have you here. How are you? I'm okay, Megan. Thanks. I've just had a. Uh... Thank you. Well, also, thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, I, I think I said to you in a text that my kids are huge fans, <laughs> and they um, they go, "Can you?" Can, they, they say, "Can you turn that annoying man off?" Which is Ben Shapiro because he talks so fast. And you said, "My little eleven-year-old son, who's with me, goes, can we put the nice lady on now?'" <laughs> <laughs> so I'm okay. It's been a very, very strange. Um, period of time yeah I've, I've had a lot of reflection over how odd what's going on is and um but yeah I'm okay I just I'm a criminal barrister criminal lawyers just left my house to tell me what I'm you know what I'm facing for um for my views yeah are, are you feeling and we'll, we're gonna get into all of it but are you feeling like traumatized right now are you in shock still about the events of this week what how would you describe your emotions right now my my emotions are of a deep, deep sadness because um, I feel for the first time, and I've, I've never felt this before, that this war in some ways may be not worth fighting. And when I say that, I mean that it, it, my father would characterize this as the wicked, you know, the, the, the other side, you know, he'd say the wicked. And I would say that the wicked are so organized, they're so well protected and defended against their for their position that they organized a mass pile on against gb news gb news folded like a like a cheap suit and then um i came out and i i always come out fighting and for the first time i thought this silent majority that everyone talks about and people stop me in the street and go you know thank god for you you're you're representing a silent majority i thought well you're silent guys so is this a war worth worth fighting? So I felt a bit demoralized today I, 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 until I met my criminal barrister, who was hilarious. I, so, um, I was saying yesterday on the show, through. I don't know the UK law very well, but I cannot imagine, like I looked up just the elements in order to be guilty of a conspiracy to do anything. And they're alleging you were, you conspired to commit, to commit a criminal act. There has to be an agreement. There has to be an agreement. Yes. There was no agreement. You were on television saying, I'm going to join these people who are taking down these security cameras that nobody consented to that are supposed to monitor our ed- emissions from our cars and they're sending out fines to us. No one voted for it. No one approved it. I'm going to join them. Who, who agreed with you? Maybe that group is like, we hate Lawrence Fox. We don't want his kind. Get him out of here. We don't need his help. But there's no agreement. This thing's going to fall apart. It's a joke. 
And it does seem to me like an attempt to harass you. And I don't believe it's not linked to the controversy controversy that's been swirling around you since your comments on GB News, which we have also been discussing on this show. Are you allowed to talk about any of that? Yes, I can talk about all of it, even though that in the Home of Free Speech's um, uh, termination package, they say that you're not allowed to disparage the Home of Free Speech with free speech. So um, that in Meaning itself GB is News. kind of funny. Yes, uh, GB News, the Home of Free Speech. They should have a rebrand, I would imagine. Um, yeah, I can talk about anything. I'm not allowed to say two words as part of my bail conditions, but I'd like to say at this point that my favourite film ever made is Blade Runner. What a what a great film that is. That's what I'd like to say. <laughs> okay. Everyone's going to have to go and, and watch it again so that we're reminded of Lawrence's defense. Um, let's just set it up for the audience members who haven't been listening to the show steadily and didn't hear. Just a quick refresher. Um, there was a woman named Ava Evans who went on this talk show in Great Britain, and she made some comments that were very dismissive of male suicide. I actually listened to you on Trigonometry, which I love too, a great podcast. And um, they cut a very nice soundbite from the exchange that set this whole thing off. I stole their cut of it because I liked how they did it. Here is the thing that got Lawrence upset. He made comments then in response in GB News, which got him ultimately fired. And I think now in jail. Uh, Here's what she said. A conservative MP, new role would champion issues such as reducing male suicide. Mm. Would that be something you'd be in favour of? Well, what's interesting about that is the hostility it sometimes faces whenever it comes up. I saw a programme where there was like a feminist academic and a Lib Dem MP, and they were so hostile to this idea. And I thought, if you if you flipped those things, i.e., that it's the biggest cause of death for men under fifty is suicide, men are less likely to go to the doctors. You know, men are less likely to maintain friendships. If that was for women, we'd often look at well, why is society making that happen? Whereas with men, the argument is often, why are they doing that to themselves? So hey, I, I, I'm not like totally wedded to the idea, but the hostility towards the idea, I find it, it instructive. Ava? I think that it feeds into the culture a little bit, this Minister for Men argument. Like In my mind, I think there should be a Minister for Mental Health, which would be all-encompassing. I mean, you've got something like 7 million children waiting for prescriptions for mental health at the moment. It's a crisis that's endemic throughout the country, not specific to men. And I think, you know, a lot of ministers kind of bandy this about to sort of... I'm sorry, but make an enemy out of women. I think not you, and I don't think your book well, I, is. I, 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 but I, I think don't, Sunak. I don't accept that. I don't think it is to make an enemy. If we looked at during COVID, men were more, literally more likely to die. Um, from COVID. And I don't really want to cast myself as, as a meninist or one of these guys from sure. the, the manosphere, because that's not who I am. But I do find it interesting that sometimes the arguments tend to throw it But back who was doing all on... the work during COVID? You know, a lot of the time, if you looked into people's households, it was the women who were taking on the laundry, the school uh, the school care, all but, of but, that. But all as, I'm not disputing any of that. What I'm saying that there are specific issues that men face that might warrant specific attention. I mean, literally... The biggest killer of, of men under 50 is suicide. That is an arresting statistic. And if that doesn't warrant specific attention, mental health is an umbrella issue. I have to say that is also because women are unsuccessful. That is a lot of, that is, feeds into that statistic. But it, feel, it feels like, it just doesn't feel like you've got any space for this idea that men might have unique challenges that face them. Well said. He was exactly right. And when you watch the longer clip, you can really, I feel the frustration you felt. She is dismissive at every turn. Over and over, he tried to say, look, because there is a minister for women. <laughs> he was just trying to say, look, men have their own specific mental health issues, and they're, this is the leading cause of death for men under 50, and we really might need somebody to help start looking into this. No, no, no. Even when he said, look how many men died during COVID, and her response was, but look who was doing all the work inside the house. What What does she do? She was the one making it a tit-for-tat issue, 
refusing to acknowledge the problems. So let's just start there. She displays quite a lot of misogyny and I think, you know, genuine misogyny, which is like women did all the housework and all that stuff. I'm a single father. I raise my two boys. I do all the housework. You know, it's like if we're looking for equality in the gender roles, then we we, we should look for genuine equality in the gender roles. What she did and, and, and what really upsets me to this moment is um, diminish the idea that men suffer too. And it's like... How dare you? And then and then turn around and say to me, oh, you're, you're a misogynist. It's like, I'm not a misogynist. I'm just going, my point was badly made, right? I, I, I could have expressed it a lot better. But my point is, how dare you belittle the suffering of men? Because when they take their own lives, of which I know at least two, you know, that sear into my mind on every every single day, they didn't say anything. They didn't speak up exactly because of women like her who belittle the idea that men also feel and think and worry and, you know, and take their own lives. As you quite rightly pointed out, it's an arresting statistic that this stuff happens. So still to this day, a week later, I'm sat there going, God, I'm so angry with you. I'm so angry with that comment being allowed to pass like it like nothing in the night i'm 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 appalled that we live in a country that allows that to happen the callousness of her tone and the way she addressed this very serious issue and i feel i feel it too lawrence i haven't thank god lost anybody in adulthood to this but my cousin shot himself in the head and died when he was 16 and it was the most horrific event of that piece of our family's lives. They've never fully recovered. It's absolutely deeply alarming. And like so many other men and boys, he succeeded, quote unquote, on the first try. And there was no warning. They didn't know. This is the pattern with men and teenage boys. They don't reach out for help. They don't get diagnosed with anxiety or depression. And even when they do, they're mocked. They're mocked for it. Uh, And yet when they try to kill themselves and they try to die by suicide, they succeed at it. Uh, It doesn't it, it's not a cry for help. They they really want to end it. And it's part of because we stick. The reason is we stigmatize mental, mental health. We make them seem weak if they want mental health. And this what she did on that show is hashtag part of the problem. Yeah, because, look, we're facing and, and all of us would understand that we're facing a massive underreporting of sexual assault in women. And I don't have any female friends who have not had a really unwanted female, uh, male attention or, or be a lot worse. You know, I don't have any female friends who've not been through that. So the, what she's doing essentially is she's undermining her own calls to turn herself into the victim of a situation. And I think yes. that's absolutely morally morally repugnant so like it's amazing that it makes me emotional even now but it upsets me to hear her say that and to belittle it because i've you know i've spoken to people who were driving behind someone in a tank in basra uh during the war in iraq and the tank slipped off the off the passageway and turned over into a marsh and they had to comfort someone or an entire tank crew as they sank into the mud and died. And they, the person that came back was not the person I knew. I didn't know them. They were like a different human being. And you can have all the conversations about the war and everything like that and, and all of that sort of stuff. But the man that I saw was not the same man that I saw when he went away. And, 
you know, we can we can talk about the fact that women have uh, less opportunities in life. I, I would say that women have as many opportunities in life as men do if they want them. You're living proof oh, yeah, of these it. These days, for sure. Yeah. And uh, but we can also turn around and say that, you know, men, 99 percent of people who die in war are men, you know, formally as opposed to civilian casualties. And, you know, th this idea of masculinity being in some way toxic and part of a culture war, which is what she did, which was to diminish the idea that her fellow human beings, you know, created equal in the eyes of God are in some way being used as part of a culture war I find repellent. I, I just I don't have any other words for it. And I wasn't able to control myself. And what I should have done is I should have attacked her point. But instead, I turned around and said, if you find this, uh, if you end up with a woman like that, you're going to commit yourself to a life of misery. That's what you're going to do. Because, you know, you know what, that, you a lot of people would agree. But hold on. I, I want to get to your comments in one second, but let's not leave her comments yet. Because what I see in this exchange is her expressing man hatred, misandry. And t that's what you were responding. She's got a long pattern of it, this woman. If you look back through her social media posts, which I know you've put up, she's constantly saying, I wouldn't shag him. I'm not going to shag you. I'm not going to, this is a thing. She, she loves this term and she loves to say it about men who she finds weak or offensive or what have you. And she also referred to men as the, the most potent or most dangerous virus of them all. Um, and then she goes out there and is dismissive over and over of the other guy who's being very respectful. His attempt to say, you know what, men have unique problems and it's manifesting in suicide. Something we should no, no, no. So you respond to what is clearly her hatred of men on some primal level. And you do it in a way that is scathing, crass, but heartfelt. You try to use humor. I was there. I watched it. I was sitting on the set watching this happen, sitting on the set over here. But I was up next on Dan's show. And I totally got where you were coming from, what you were doing. And what happens? It's it's like more hatred toward a man. Now, the hatred this time is toward you in particular. And no one. Yeah. OK, fine. You can get you, can, you spend one minute talking about the way in which Lawrence expressed himself. But zero minutes were devoted to why to, to anything she said to any of her comments. And so I really think that's that's one of the reasons why you're feeling traumatized. That's my word. I think you're feeling that like it, it's now it's happening to you. But I let down men in that situation because I should have said I should have attacked her point. That would have been better because the point is weak. She's weak in a what's the point in responding to some shock jock who wants to turn up on TV and say these horrible things and try and increase her profile. God knows for what, for what reason. Um, I I I do reflect and I do try and adopt some humility in this situation. And I thought I let down the side of the argument of the men. Many, many thousands of people have contacted me with messages of their partners, their male partners, uh, killing themselves. And this is, uh, as Jeff Norcott quite rightly pointed out in the show, people are, men are killing themselves in great numbers. They're, they're being toxified they're being, uh, I'd hate to say this in a sort of, in a way which wasn't nuanced, but very, very feminized. And it's, it's, it's very, you know, I feel I let myself down, actually. And that's the bit that upsets me. I should have just turned around and taken her point and attacked it with everything I have, because that's what I usually do. But uh, this particular issue just stigmatized, it got me, it, 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 in woke parlance, it triggered me so much that I just thought, who would want to shag that? 
and I'm sorry, I'll say it again now that I've been fired. Who, which man, what self-respecting man would want to find himself in a relationship with a woman who hated men that much? Yeah. You know? I, who I understand. Must, it, I, not- I think you're being too hard on yourself. I, re- I mean, I've, I've said this to you privately and I say it publicly. You're being too hard on yourself. Your countrymen are being too hard on you. You made a crass comment expressing heartfelt sentiment about the mental well-being of men and someone who is dismissive of them. Okay, you could spend one minute saying, sorry, it wasn't nice the way I put it. It was obviously an attempt to use humor to make a point on a show that was airing at 930 in the evening. Um, the, The fact that they are treating you like you're Harvey Weinstein is wrong. It's wrong. This is a joke. So this is what you actually said for the audience at home. It was now like, what the hell did he say? Here's what he said. He went on GB News, which is supposed to be Great Britain's, not exactly their Fox News, but the closest thing that they can get with this government regulator called Ofcom that literally listens to everything that's said and scolds you if it's not perfectly fair and balanced. Um, so they're they're trying to offer this free speech alternative to the BBC. And Dan's got the most successful show on GB News. And I've appeared on it once a week since it launched. And you've been appearing on it regularly since launch. So did Calvin Robinson, who was on the show yesterday. Here's you that night responding to Ava Evans's comments. Show me a single self-respecting man that would like to climb into bed with that woman ever, ever, who wasn't an incel, who wasn't a cucked little incel. That little woman has been fed, spoon-fed oppression day after day after day after day, starting with the lie of the gender uh, uh, wage gap. And she sat there and I'm going like, if I met you in a bar and that was like sentence three, chances of me just walking away are just huge. We need powerful, strong, amazing women who make great points for themselves. We don't need these sort of feminist 4.0. They're pathetic and embarrassing. Who'd want to shag that? Oh, Lawrence. Well, look, oh. she... <laughs> Sorry, Sorry. I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to provide a, a touch of balance from her because she did actually respond to this earlier today saying that she regretted her comments, but she didn't apologise. Uh, yes. So, so so there you go. <laughs> and she's a very beautiful woman, Lawrence. Very beautiful woman. There you go. First of all, Dan gave it the old college try to give the, the required balance that these government regulators apparently require. But, I mean, to me, as an American, it's offensive that he even had to do that. It, it, like... Why did he have to do that? The, the whole point of a Fox News or a GB News is to provide balance to the mainstream conversation that is entirely happening the opposite way, right? That every there's one message. Or Does the BBC really provide a lot of balance that's fair to people who are more conservative? No. So it's like the fact that GB has to make sure they contradict anything that is said, you know, that's controversial or about somebody on the left. It's just absurd to me. I hate the whole system. So you said it, your life exploded, and even you were taken aback, I think, by the size of the reaction. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it was, uh, I I think that there was a very well-organized, there was a woman in the green room uh, who was about to go on next, who shared it with Ava, and she began the pile-on, and it was very organized media pile-on. It wasn't, you know, or as the Andrew Tate people would call a matrix attack. And I woke up the next morning because I was like, me and Dan were talking about it and we're going, that was quite funny. And it's, you know, 
and poor old Dan, who who essentially is a, he's a vulnerable guy. You know, he's not used to being attacked in the way that I'm used to being attacked. And he was bullied into making these apologies, these these groveling apologies to do it. But you know, ultimately, I was just trying to say a simple point, which is that we need some balance. And GB News, what they've done to themselves, well, casting themselves as the aim of free speech. Hang on, quickly, let's do a little. Uh, diversion here. Paul Marshall, who is the father of Winston Marshall, who was cancelled from Mumford and Sons, who I spoke to every single day during his cancellation period. And I was trying to say, don't throw Andy No under the bus. Don't do this. I support him. Paul Marshall is his father. He he owns GB News, or his uh, part of his uh, legatum uh, consortium owns GB News. He's now trying to buy the Daily Telegraph, the right-wing or centre-right newspaper in the UK. And he's basically positioning himself as the UK's kind of free speech champion whilst firing everybody who doesn't say what he wants them to say. And I think that's a concerning aspect as well. GB News have also had someone uh, that is on the record as of paying off a female journalist who was uh, the victim of uh, sexual harassment from someone very senior in the organisation. So when they talk about this idea that they love free speech and that they love, you know, we've got values and all this sort of stuff, none of it's true within the office space and none of it's true within the organisation. And it, as freedom lovers and as people who believe in the idea of free speech being the cure to the problem between uh, us and them, if there is an us and a them, which there is at the moment, uh, are they've just opened themselves up to some unending attacks because what you know, what's it going to be the next person who says something wrong? They're going to go cancel him, mm-hmm. and they're going to go, okay, we'll cancel them too. They're not the home of free speech; they're the home of cancel culture, and um, you know their audience is halved in in a week. And I was uh, hugely. They hired me knowing I'm a, I'm a maverick. You know, they they knew what I was like, and mm-hmm. they the the minute it came down, and and I suppose the broader point here, which I think is important, is that we're losing Megan. Those that believe in in free speech, free expression being the answer, the way out of this, open, honest discussion with the convert with with the convincible members of the other side. You know, a moderate Democrat, for example, in, in terms of American politics, we, we've now lost the argument because what they do is they organise. The strong come together and they organise very very well, and they take the weak with them. What we do is we just beg for our jobs. And I just think it's a very uneven battlefield. And I, you know, I don't I, I don't see how we get out of this easily. There there have been so many comments made on the left, on the BBC and elsewhere that have gone completely ignored. The this Ofcom, this government group that oversees all the cable uh, channels, and not to mention now they're gonna be taking over digital. They don't care. Here's just one. We just pulled this one because we covered this. Um, this is the Bridgerton actress who was watching the coronation. And here was her observation back in May of 2023, Sot 11. We've gone from the uh, the uh, the rich diversity of the Abbey to a terribly white balcony. I'm <laughs> very struck by yes. that. I'm also looking at those younger generations and thinking, uh, what are the nuances that they will inhabit as they grow? Hmm. Oh, so because it's a problem to be so white, you see. If you're white, terribly white, that's a problem. You need to white. do something about it. Terribly white. My God, not just white. That's what I am. As white as they come. Super white, transparent, <laughs> translucent. But she doesn't like that. You you need more melanin in your skin. No no discipline there. She was fine. Then there's uh, BBC News at 10. They featured an 
Indian historian saying Winston Churchill was seen as the precipitator of mass killing due to allegations of his failure in this famine of 1943. No problem. Usage of N-word in a news report um, about what happened in Bristol, uh, sparking more than 18,000 complaints from viewers. Yours only sparked 8,000. Journalist is still with the BBC. They don't fire. It's different. Another guy, Tim Wilcox, accused of anti-Semitism. He's still with the BBC. Very different story if you say it over on the BBC. And frankly, I've got to be honest, I have sat on the set of GB News, well, my set, but via satellite, with Dan saying things not too far afield from what you said. I, I can't find the sound, but I, I looked for it. But I know I said something about Harry and how pathetic and effete he seemed after he failed to find, fight back against William and he fell against the dog bowl and he went crying to his wife. I remember saying something like, my God, who, who would want to sleep with him? Something to that effect. I guess I'm allowed to say it on GB News, but you're not. Well, you, you, you know, uh, here, here lies the problem. The UK is totally unprotected against uh, attacks on free speech. The Americans uh, and the founders and those that wrote the Constitution understood the idea that there is going to be tyranny as mankind moves towards leisure, which is what's happened, you know, as much as poverty still in the world and still in my own country, totally ignored by everybody. But ultimately, people are moving towards leisure. So they they understood that society was going to get better. And they understood that what would happen, therefore, was tyranny would begin to invoke itself into the society that it was was taking place. So they created a First Amendment, which was the protection of free speech. Free speech, cornerstone of a, any liberal secular democracy or a Republican uh, or an American Republic or whatever. But the uh, also the other one is the presumption of innocence. So the attack on me came very quickly after the Russell Brand allegations, which were made on a TV show uh, by and a lot of it was played by actresses, and it didn't hold huge amounts of public interest to me or, or to well, the public generally. I'm just to interrupt you. This was so crazy. You, you shouldn't even be, you should not be mentioning him in the same breath as your story. It, these two stories have absolutely no similarity to one another. Russell Brand is accused by what four different women of sexual assault, rape, repeated sex, and, t- and taking advantage of a minor, forced sexual acts on a minor while he was 31. Believe him or not, those allegations are not in the same universe as who would want to shag that. That's nothing. It's a stupid ass joke. It's insane. Don't even mention I, I whatever. Even if you think Russell Brand is totally innocent of all of it, it, these things should not be compared. But your story, the latter story, seems to me to have gotten more coverage and caused even more outrage. Yeah, I think the point I'm trying to make is that um, as I was speaking to the guy who backs the Reclaim Party, he said to me, oh, my God, you will get cancelled for shagging too many people and you'll get cancelled for not wanting to shag anybody. <laughs> so, you know, it kind of, like, what, what, at what point can a man express uh, any emotion about his fellow man. And, you know, we're, we're in a very, 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 very strange time. And it, and to me, it seems like it's accelerating. And I worry that our, I don't like sites because I like free speech. I like people to exchange ideas and I like the best ideas to win. And I said to you, as I spoke to you on the fa- on the phone, I love your shows where you do the law stuff. Because you go, you break it down and you go, what's legally and what's legally re- relevant. But 
I was, I, I, I don't think I've committed some cardinal sin. Otherwise, I wouldn't have said it. And I'm, I'm happy to say it again. I, I'm just, what I'm doing is when I'm reflecting because I am someone who is trying to find some humility in life. Um, I'm going, could I have said it better? Yeah, I could. But I'm not comparing myself to Russell Brand. I'm just saying that the media storm was convenient because they knew that Russell Brand wasn't going to land as a story because they wanted to kill him off. So they thought, oh, who's next? And they, you know, uh, end up at my door as they frequently do. Mm-hmm. And then you got arrested. The weirdest <laughs> twist in this whole thing. So in between your your mass media coverage on this issue, this nothing burger and your suspension from GB News, um, you gave you went on our old pal Maji Nawaz's uh, podcast. He's come on with me on Fox all the time. Now he's got a podcast. And you went on and you were talking not about this instance in the thing that got you tr- in trouble. You were talking about these cameras that I referenced at the top of the show have been put up in London. They're monitoring cars for emissions that go beyond some certain standard. And, you know, a lot of people in London are saying, who who told you you could monitor us with these cameras and send us these fines without our consent. And so this civil disobedience group is running around cutting down the cameras. And you went on Nawaz's podcast and said you would join them. I think we have the soundbite. I'm trying to find the number. Uh, yeah, I think it's sat for. Yeah, go ahead. I would encourage mass, mass removal of the surveillance state, because once it's there, you cannot remove it. Are you interested in testing the law around this if some people get arrested? I, I would happy to be arrested myself. So, you know, I, I, I won't be, I won't be, when I go out and take their cameras down, which I will be doing, I won't be, I will be taking my phone with me so they know exactly where I am. Because the Bay Runners are clever. They, you know, they, 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 they know what they're doing. But I, I would happily sit there and go sit in court and go, who voted for this? What's your evidence for the Outer London Clean Air Zone? What's your evidence for that? Why are you doing this? You know, I, I'd sit there and do it, but I do that. I've got you know, several court cases going on, as you know. But um, yeah, I would. And then the next thing you knew, the cops showed up. Can you just describe what happened when the police showed up? Yeah, so I was I was sat in the house. Um, Andrew Bridgen, who's our uh, who's our MP, the the only MP, by the way, in the Western world who is going to get a debate in the Houses of Parliament, the mother of all parliaments on the excess deaths that are taking place in across the developed world as a result of the last two years' um, work. Yeah, he was here and and uh, I got a knock on the door and six policemen barged straight through my door and they took my children's devices. They took my own devices, hence why I'm on an iPhone to you, a new iPhone. And um, they were very, very confrontational and difficult. They didn't want me to broadcast, didn't want me to say anything about it at the time. I was taken to a police station and... Um, the thing that really resonates at times of great difficulty, and I don't think I am going through times of great difficulty, by the way, because I think there are a lot more worse things going on. I'm sat next to a policeman in the car. They're reporting suicides and knife crime. And they're going, we're busy. We can't go there. We got, we, we, we're on route to you know the police station with uh, criminal number one, me. And I get to the police station. The guy in the next holding cell to me has got bags, forensic bags on his arms. He's got blood all over his body. He's obviously been doing something which is pretty not good. And um, I'm sitting there going, how come I'm, this is a political takedown. You're taking me down because AI was a journalist up until about halfway through my um, incarceration, my mild incarceration. And uh, and B, I lead a political party. So 
it, it doesn't look good for the police to send six guys in to my house, especially when you've got a guy, Chris Packham, who is a, he's a, he's an autistic uh, nature presenter. And, you know, he has that, he, he's been saying, I think it's fine to break the law to save the, save us from the sun monster. It's very Aztec, this whole thing. It, it's, it's very, it's very sort of, you know, okay. Well, if if the crops don't work this year, let's just sacrifice some people, and we and we we're going through the digital version of that here. So I went to the police station. I was locked up in the police station. A couple of police officers came around and gave me a brownie because obviously they like to remind you they're in charge. And one of them leant through the door of my little pulled down my slot, my cell, and he went, "We're right behind you, Loz." <laughs> and I went, "Thanks, man." And he went, "We all watched the Delling Pod," and I was like. <laughs> so I found it funny. I mean, a lot of it is so absurd. It's funny. The idea the cops that are probably with in... you. I mean, it's, it tends to be the elites who like to enforce the world order, um, as, such as we're describing it. I do. I should mention to the audience, you are the, men- the the leader of a of a political party. It's called the Reclaim Party, and we pulled this. And, and I'd actually never seen the a formal description of it, but. This is what my team gave me. Reclaim intends to change freedom of speech laws and to depoliticize the police and other public institutions. Well, there you have it. Of course, this is problematic. Yep. Reclaim says it will actively field candidates at the next general election, both to directly take seats and to actively target and unseat MPs, members of parliament, who have sold Britain down the river. Uh, so you've been doing this since 2020. And so you are a political figure now under arrest for what your political views for saying you you would do something that you hadn't done something for a conspiracy which requires an agreement that was never struck embarrassed humiliated property seized that of your children as well now people can say what that you're an accused criminal in addition to being an alleged misogynist and great we're done with lawrence yeah i mean you know at the end of the day uh the law works in mysterious ways and i have a feeling that the legacy media have have managed to put themselves in a position where they they they've killed themselves you know the the people that would have tuned into gb news would have been the people that said i'm bored of being lied to by the singular narrative the monochromatic narrative of the mainstream media which is there's an imminent terrible climate crisis it's a really good idea to trans your kids and um, teaching everyone about skin color privilege is a really good idea. I would turn around and offer the Martin Luther King defense and say, you know, it's what's going on in your heart, which is more important, which originally got me into trouble. I would say it's probably not a good idea to put children on experimental uh, hormone therapy, bearing in mind that, you know, you, you give a, a, a boy a load of estrogen or a girl a load of testosterone, that, that's just not a good idea. And um, for that, I am, yeah, I'm persona non grata in this in this country. And I think we, we, we're we witnessing the, the manifestation of virtue signaling becoming reality. So we have a prime minister in this country who turns around and goes, there's uncontrolled immigration, of which there is in this country. And that's, I love immigration. I think it's great. If you've got, if you want to come to our country and provide and be brilliant, do it. But don't break the law to do it. And we're witnessing a, a, a prime minister who says, I'm going to stop the boats or I'm going to stop the indoctrination of children in school. But actually, all he's doing is virtue signaling that he's going to do that. He actually doesn't do anything about it. No one does anything about the fact that you're taking entire communities of people and putting them amongst, you know, in, in England, it's we're like America. You know, we have the, the red bits and the blue bits and the blue bits of the cities. And, but they're putting the immigrants 
in the who didn't bring their wives and children by the way they just came by themselves mm-hmm. in amongst uh you know fleeing war i mean forgive me for being an old-fashioned toxic male but if i was fleeing war i would make sure my wife and my children were safe uh, well ahead of me they're putting them in communities where where these where people that have been living for hundreds of years side by side are really are really struggling and we've had this problem with the batley there, there was a there's a story of a batley teacher who showed a picture of the prophet muhammad as part of a lesson on blasphemy so it was a lesson on blasphemy and what happened was he showed the cartoon from charlie hebdo which got a load of people shot by the way you know as you well know and this guy is hiding for his life in this country and my objections to any of this stuff are, 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 are greeted relentlessly with the idea that I'm in some way some terrible, vile racist. And I'm like, well, no, if you love your country and you believe in its histories and traditions, then you should probably support the fact that we live somewhere. It's our home. Right. And we're, we're witnessing the end of the West. And we have no in England, we have no protection against it. None. We don't have a First Amendment. We don't have a Second Amendment. All we have is a cultural import from the United States, which is going to be the downfall of the entire of our country. That's what I think. Mm. Uh, you, Douglas Murray, Spencer Clavin, they've both written books on this war on the West, outlining the very same concerns that you're outlining as well. Stand by one minute, quick break, and then I want to get back to you and what's next. Lawrence stays with us. Come on, then. Spit it out. No, I was just wondering why you changed your mind. You know, you were keen, wondering what's happened. Nothing's happened. Well, if it isn't something that's already happened, then it's something that you think will happen. Have you quite finished? Oh, you're worried that if you go, that Moody will close you down. Oh, rubbish, man. Yeah, you'll come back and you won't be a copper anymore, and if you're not a copper, then what will you be? Shouldn't I be lying on a couch for this sort of guff? Do you love Laura? Then go. Show her that you love her. Don't assume that she knows. People make that assumption and it's a mistake. Still, your decision. Mm, That was a scene with our guest, Lawrence Fox, uh, when he was acting on a show called Inspector Lewis, aired from 2006 to 2015. Uh, Now he is leader of Great Britain's Reclaim Party, And as of late, persona non grata, because he had the nerve to express himself in some colorful terms. That's it. Uh, It's just amazing how quickly they try to dispense with you once they realize you're not actually a leftist. Once you come out of your sort of just, I'm not saying anything, acting shell and declare yourself something other than a leftist, it's the beginning of the end in your country and mine. Yeah. I mean, I I thought for two years, I thought, am I going to tell the truth? Am I going to say what I feel? Uh, And it actually weirdly began in America. It began with Kavanaugh and the hearings, the Kavanaugh hearings. And I was sat outside my trailer and these uh, actresses and actors together would sit there and go, you've got to believe women, got to believe women. And I'm like, well, no, actually, ultimately, you have to believe in the due process of the law. That's the most important thing. And as we saw with Christine Blasey Ford and and what happened, this was very sketchy info. And we saw it with Clarence Thomas as well. You know, it's it's America is trying to destroy the two things that keep it upright, which are the right to free speech, the presumption of innocence and all of these things. And, you know, your gun grabbers. I'm not a big fan of guns, uh, but I now realize that, you know, as we head towards tyranny, 
having a gun in your locker is going to be a useful thing to have. Um, it's astonishing to look back on that. I haven't seen that. That feels like a lifetime ago for me. And I mourn that career hugely because it was an opportunity for me to offer a a different voice to the to the ones that you're constantly fed on, you know, in modern moral lectures on Netflix or whatever other channel, you know. So I feel I I what I watched that I got another lump in my throat. Thanks a lot, babe. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, Lawrence. You're amazing at it. You're in Gosford Park. I mean, so many hit movies and television shows. I mean, you're an incredibly talented man. Her mother likes him. She does too. Now I know she's not exactly a showstopper. Her father's not keen on the idea. He'll come round. Met my daughter, Lady Rupert Spanish. He thinks I'm in it for the money. Of course he does. But you can't let that put you off. He's much more of an obstacle than you think. Then you must overcome that, mustn't you? Her ladyship asked if you would join her in the drawing room when you finished. And also, I heard you talk about this on Trigonometry. Your acting background brings you to a more emotional place in general when communicating, which, of course, nobody's going to remember, you know, in the context of your GB News remarks. Um, a moment on GB and Dan. Dan came out and issued what was clearly to me a hostage statement written for him by a PR person at GB. Very, very offended by your remarks in retrospect. That's not Dan. There's zero chance that was written by Dan. He was trying to save his skin, I think, there. I don't think it's going to work. I expect that he's going to be fired probably today. Um, you released a text message in response between the two of you laughing about it after the fact to prove Dan wasn't really offended and you didn't really appreciate the pile on. Can things be okay between the two of you, do you think? I want healing there because I think you're on the same I, side. I speak to Dan every day. Like, you know, he, he also told me that this is what he was going to do. And I went, don't do it, Dan. Don't do the hostage <laughs> tweet. You know, it's a silly thing to do. And I said, you can also apologize without throwing me under the bus. Uh, more importantly and interestingly for him is that he's vulnerable, right? He doesn't, he's not, he's not tough. I've learned to be tough. I've been taught to be tough by the circumstances I've experienced in life. Dan isn't tough. He, he's a, he's a brave guy, but he's not a tough guy. And, um, he has experienced the stuff that he's being forced to do, uh, to, to kind of apologize and capitulate to this, uh, of appeasement mob that, that GB News has become is really sad for him. But I speak to him every single day. I go, listen, oh, man, good. this is going to, this is going to emancipate you. We're, we're going to find a place and, you know, he's going to do everything he can to save his skin. But, you know, when he phoned me up and he said, I've got to send this tweet and I've got to apologize and I'm going to throw you under the bus. I said, listen, and without being homophobic, Dan, you're a gay guy. You don't have two children to feed. I do. So I have an extra level of stuff that I've got to deal with that you don't have to deal with. And I am loyal to you. I was loyal to you when, they, when the Byline Times came out after you. I was loyal to you and I'm loyal to my friends. And I try and be one of these people in life who uh, walks the walk as well as talking the talk. And sometimes I talk the talk way too much, but at least I walk the walk. And I, th I really, I have huge compassion for Dan. I love him. I think he's a courageous, courageous reporter. I think to come out in the British media landscape and do what he's done is incredible. And I think that the treatment he's going to get, uh, possibly, uh, is is a mistake for him because you don't, if they're going to walk you to the guillotine and cut your head off, you should do so with your head held high. 
you shouldn't do so groveling and begging for your, for them not to kill you. And I think that's his one mistake. But I speak to him every day and I and I love him. I like, you know, I'm commanded to love people, right? So I I love him. I have no beef with Dan. I have much more beef with the people above who are yeah. using him as a weapon and who are using, you know, and, and who want to take over the British media landscape. I'm very, very, very curious about people like Paul Marshall and where they come from and uh, stuff like that, you know, but Dan is a, a, a true good their, They've lost their mission. I mean, Roger Ailes, when you got in trouble at Fox, he had your back. He would stand up to anybody. He would never let the outside, especially not leftists, come in and decapitate his staff. That just wasn't what he would do. He would throw himself in the line of fire and he would take the bullets for you. This is one of the reasons why so many people feel such deep affection for him, including yours truly. You know, it's all documented in any event. Um, now what? Because I heard you say on the show and elsewhere, you're starting to wonder whether you can stay in Great Britain. Like you're you're starting to get a, like a little scared about what your future looks like there. Can you expand on that? Well, I am scared uh, of this country. I, I took a very strong stand during uh, COVID lockdowns. I announced every Friday night that I was having a party uh, for everyone who wanted to come, which may or may not be irresponsible, but that's what I, I thought might as well be honest. Um, I'd noticed a real ramping up in the rhetoric against me, you know, in this situation. Now I'm facing a conspiracy charge, you know, and conspiracy is serious. So uh, I... For me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and walk up a mountain with the person who backs me and who wants my voice in the conversation. And we're going to discuss. You have a financial backer. I, yeah. And, and I think that the conversation I'm going to have is, have we lost? And is this country now an airport hotel for migrants where, they, where the local people are, are impoverished are unable to support their own families and migrants are put in hotels or in really lovely beautiful hotels while the local people are treated like sh1t and so i will walk up a mountain tomorrow with him because that's he lives near a mountain and we we walk this mountain frequently together and we will work out whether we've lost and we will come back down from the mountain working out whether we lost because i don't think what, what I think is so fascinating about the American response to this is like, yeehaw, fuck them. You know, it's like, good for you, say your stuff. But in the UK, we basically, I, I've said this uh, before and I will say it again, we, we are not a democratic, uh, uh, secular, liberal democracy. We are a country attached to a socialist healthcare system, which takes £170 billion a year to fund and that is, without subsidy, 70% of the UK tax burden. So I pay my taxes and I am not, I can't get an appointment to see a National Health Service doctor. I cannot, mm. I, I watch people die on, uh, on, uh, on waiting lists. We have the record, we have 7.9 million people waiting on waiting lists in the belief that the socialist system will save them. It won't. So I, I'm, I'm wondering and worrying whether the UK has fallen totally. And I would like to explore the idea of, of what exists outside of it, you know, and, but, you know, I can't because of my bail conditions, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. You would, you would, if you weren't going to be in prison, uh, you're not going to be in prison. I, I would like to recommend the United States to you. We're not quite where you guys are. We do have the beautiful First Amendment, which sadly many young people want to get rid of and don't believe in, but the vast majority of Americans still do. 
Uh, though it's not what it used to be, you can still say what you want over here. The cancellation war is losing. They are losing. Um, I, I live in Connecticut. You could come here. You could go to the great state of Texas. There are red states that even love the people with the British accent. We all think you're smarter than we are. And we at least... I'd said this to my team this week, Lawrence, after we had Calvin on, who got swept in, up into this whole thing for just defending you. He got fired, too, from what TV. What a brave man. I want to do, isn't he? He's such a great man. He's been such an important voice on so many issues. For them to can him is absolutely egregious. But I want to do here on the MK show, at least, let's do UK Day. And we'll have you, we'll have Calvin, we'll have Dan. Maybe we'll get Mark Stein. He comes on on his own anyway. Uh, and we'll start doing something. I'll promote whatever you want to do. I'll help you guys relaunch. But if they're not going to let you speak in Great Britain, come across the pond and fight the battle over here. We could use your help. You're absolutely right. And we're about to find that the Internet now in the United Kingdom is going to be regulated by Ofcom, the very same people that regulate what goes on on TV. So you're, what you're going to find when you go to UK Twitter channels is this channel is blocked by Ofcom. And if you want to live in a world where Ofcommunists decide what you say, you're living in a world which is heading very quickly towards the Gulag Archipelago. And it may be a digital cancellation or it may be a physical one, but it's we're, we're heading into very, very dangerous waters. All right. I encourage my UK friends to get one of those VPNs. You change the location so you make it look like you're logging on from the United States and then you you will have access. I believe that's how it's done. But this is insane. People are losing their minds. Um, and you know what? It's worth the fight. I, I, I encourage you to stay in it there or here. We need you. All the best, my friend, to be continued. Amen, Megan. Thank you so much for me on. Mm. What a what a what a dreadful situation. Love to get your thoughts on it. Email me, Megan at MeganKelly.com. Up next, Dr. Miriam Grossman. My gosh, I'm jarred by the whole conversation. Now we're joined by psychiatrist Dr. Miriam Grossman. We had Dr. Grossman on back in June on episode 568 to discuss her incredible book, Lost in Trans Nation. This is a must read, Lost in Trans Nation, a child psychiatrist's guide out of the madness. Never was a book so needed as this one. Now it is available. She was coming on just as it was about to hit. And I'm excited to dive deeper into it with The Good Doctor and get to some of the latest news on this subject. Dr. Grossman, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. It's great to be back with you, Megan. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh, there's not a more important book that's been written in the past decade, as far as I'm concerned. This is this is the guide for all. This is what we needed for all the parents saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to trust. I don't, you know, I, I haven't even seen anybody outline the problem, honestly. You've done it. And one of the things that jumped out in me in the book that we didn't get to the last time was mourning the living. That's how you put it, mourning the living. The trauma that parents experience when this happens with their child. I can say this, having had someone in my own family declare themselves a woman, you know, as a male to female, um, I've witnessed firsthand what you're talking about. The trauma to the person on the opposite end of that, whether it's a spouse, or a parent is deep and I think almost irreversible. But can you talk about it? Sure. Well, Megan, the parents are really the uh, the the silent heroes, uh, the un untold, the unsung heroes of this saga. The parents I'm speaking now about are the ones that refuse to 
endorse their child's delusion. They refuse to use the new name, the new pronouns, and they will do anything they can to uh, prevent their child from getting on the assembly line toward medicalization. And there's more parents than you would imagine that fit into that group. Uh, just last night, I was speaking to one of the parent leaders, and uh, we went through all the different organizations that exist. These are grassroots, underground, private organizations created by parents with children who have rapid onset gender dysphoria, which is the vast majority of young people right now that we're seeing. These are kids who, previous to uh, hitting pre-adolescence or adolescence or young adulthood, never had any sign of being uncomfortable with their sex. So these parents have gotten together over the past few years. And because they've been abandoned by my profession, by uh, you know rank and file therapists, uh, the American Psychiatric Association, the Psychological Association, all these organizations, instead of supporting these parents who are living in reality and are devoted and loving parents, instead of supporting them, they are demonizing them and basically describing them as unsupportive or worse. So the parent organizations, and there are at least 10 of them, and I mean, I'm speaking now about the English, English-speaking ones, um, and they count among their the parents that they are helping at least over 17,000 parents mm that are getting the support and guidance that they need, they desperately need, from other parents. And so I highlight this in my book, and I talk about, number one, as you said, the trauma that these parents go through when they are faced with a child who is indoctrinated and fully believes in the delusion, the impossibility that they are or could become the opposite sex, and that uh, that that quote unquote transition will uh, be the cure for their mental health ills. Uh, so these parents go through the shock and the trauma of realizing that their child uh, has come under the influence of outsiders who do not necessarily have their well-being uh, at the forefront of their minds. These are groomers and these are crusaders who want to promote this belief system uh, in order to change our society and in order to eliminate the categories of male and female. So the parents come to this realization, some of them, um, and they begin to search for support in, in, you know, in, in their position, because if you Megan, if you Google, if a parent goes online after their child has made this announcement and request for a new name and pronouns and hormones, um, and the parent sits down and Googles parent support trans child, something like that. 
all the organizations that are going to come up there are going to be the affirming ones, the ones that tell the parents, put your child in the driver's seat. Your child knows better than anybody else who they truly are. And even though it may be difficult for you, this is for your child's welfare. The only path that they have toward a happy and adjusted life is if they are affirmed by everyone around them. Now, more and more, especially over the past months or year, I would say, there are more and more parents who are wary of that message. Thank God. But those parents don't always know where to look. And because if you go online looking for these groups, it might be more difficult to find them. And you're certainly not going to find out about them from your pediatrician or your guidance counselor at school. No. That's not going to happen. Those people, nine times out of 10, are, are part of the problem here. So there's a lot of uh, word of mouth uh, sharing of information. And there's, there's just a lot of sort of underground activity. And in order to join one of these groups, again, there's 17,000 parents, over 17,000 parents that are or have been involved in these support groups, parents supporting other parents. Um, in order to join those groups takes a lot of time and effort. You're not automatically admitted. You have to be vetted. And it is a strenuous process. Now, why is that? Because parents are terrified that they are, are going to be uh, exposed as uh, you know having these beliefs that go contrary to the narrative, having these uh, so-called transphobic, bigoted beliefs. And they're terrified. They don't want their child to find out. They don't want perhaps other relatives to find out. And they don't want Child Protective Services to find out. Oh, so there's gosh. tremendous amount of fear. I, of course, there, of course there. And, and we've talked about this before, about how now all the, the, the studies show that if you just leave your child alone and you don't affirm and you don't switch pronouns and you don't switch names and you don't allow social transition, never mind all that follows, your child will grow out of his or her gender confusion. So the odds are in your favor if you don't intervene, you know, to, to not affirm. The odds are in your favor that your child will, will resort, revert back to understanding he's a he and she's a she. But instead, these activists, including in the psychiatric profession, push the opposite. They push social transition. And you write in the book about how this leaves parents with trauma of their own, you know, that when they, the psychiatrist telling them, would you have a, rather have a live daughter or a dead son or whatever the transition is? And that then it's almost like a death in the family for these parents when they could just go the route of not affirming and let the child grow out of it. They're pressured into affirming and they suffer almost a death in the family with these, quote, secondary losses. Can you explain that? Sure. Well, you know, uh, uh, we're talking about loss but this is a very complicated loss. It's not, there are simple losses and simple grief, and then there's complicated grief. So a simple grief, as terrible as it might be, would be a grief in which, you know, a person suffers a terrible loss, uh, but it's not complicated by, by guilt or anger or regret 
what could I have done? What did I do wrong? Um, why did this person, you know, go and do this to me? Um, simple grief, most people get over. They can, they, they're sad, they grieve, they miss the person, um, but they're able to move on after a certain amount of time. This is, a, this is an altogether different thing. You see, this is obviously not an actual death. I mean, you still have a live child. It's just sometimes an altogether different child, not the child that you knew for 12 or 15 or 20 years. It's a child that has changed physically, obviously, you know, if there's been medicalization. It's a child whose personality has changed. And it's a child that's been indoctrinated to believe that if you don't support them on this dangerous path, a path, by the way, that that uh, involves being a lifelong uh, consumer of pharmaceuticals. So, uh, you know, addicted or dependent, I should say, on pharmaceuticals for the rest of your life. If you do not support that and you do not support the various uh, medical interventions and surgeries that uh, have so many horrific adverse effects, uh, mm -hmm. that you are a bad parent, you are a, your, your home is unsafe, you are bigoted, you are closed-minded, you, you're simply, you're, you're toxic. And, and so the kids have been indoctrinated not only with all the stuff that, you know, the delusion about their new identity being this, being a solution to their mental health issues, they're indoctrinated to think that anyone that doesn't go along with it is a terrible, toxic person. So the very parents who are the most devoted to their children and, you know, refuse to go along, you know, refuse to, to uh, deny reality and refuse to sign on the dotted line uh, permitting these medical interventions, they are being framed as the enemy, enemy number one. So you, this is. Sorry, I was going to say that you write in the book. Um, you have to look at what these parents go through saying, for example, the past has been erased. Your child rewrote it to fit his beliefs. I never liked those swim trunks. I was miserable on that vacation. In that birthday video, I was only acting like I was happy. Cherished memories are stained by the narrative. He might insist you remove and delete all the old photos of him. He knows his life history better than you do. I cannot imagine the pain of this. And then to know on top of it that in case after case, it was the school guidance counselor or a teacher or even a pediatrician, never mind a psychiatrist or a psychologist you brought him to for help, who pushed him, who pushed him down this lane, mm -hmm. separating him from you in every way a child can be separated from his mother. That's correct. And so the parents are on this impossible tightrope. They're walking a tightrope because they don't, they're, they're unwilling to deny the reality. They're unwilling to approve of this, this plan to live as the other sex, but they're, they're terrified that they may lose the child emotionally, that the child, you know, that this wedge that's placed between the child and his or her loving family is so 
insidious and and so huge. And I tell stories in the book of families in which the wedge, you know, ended up in in terrible tragedies of we not have only to talk Ellie- about one. We have to talk about yeah, Ellie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh well, yeah, Ellie was a teenage girl with mental health issues living in Southern California. Um, and she became influenced by people at her school, as well as, uh, uh, I believe some moms who were what are called glitter moms, LGBT, you know, uh, rainbow moms who, uh, see themselves as saviors of children that come from families that uh, may not be so positive about the transgender uh, ideology. And they see themselves as stepping up and saving these kids from their own parents. And they will often influence the kids. They will uh, open their homes to them. They will put them in touch with organizations that will further alienate them from their parents. And that is what happened to Yaeli. She got involved with these groups and with these parents and with people at school. And her par- her mother, uh, Abigail, and Abigail has spoken many times publicly about this. Uh, Abigail Martinez is her name. Uh, people should go online and hear her speaking at Heritage Foundation. We if you can stomach it. If you yeah, can stomach it. When you're it. done telling the story, I'll play some of it. Okay. So uh, the long and short of it was that Yaeli over the years was alienated from her, from her parents and her mother, even, you know, at a certain point, her mother was willing to go along with it. She was willing to do anything. She used the new names and the new pronouns, but it was too late. Uh, Yaeli had moved out. She went from one place to the other. She became, uh, she was emancipated because she was led to believe that if she's, well, this is true in California, if you're emancipated, an emancipated minor, you can make your own medical decisions. She was placed on testosterone. She was taken by a, 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 a radical LGBT group to a hospital in Los Angeles where she was placed on testosterone. She was on testosterone a number of years. None of this was helping her underlying mental health issues her mother kept trying, kept fighting, going to court every month, trying to fight for her. Uh, she committed suicide. Uh, yeah, Ellie committed suicide. Now, this is not an isolated story. Uh, this is the only story I know of so far in which the child has ended suicide, has ended up suiciding. I hope that it's the only one. But there are multiple stories of A, minors being removed from the family by Child Protective Services, or simply becoming so estranged because of that wedge that's placed between them, and because the child is so convinced that their their homes are unsafe, that uh, they simply, you know, they, they leave, and they are either completely estranged or partially estranged. And the numbers for that are quite large. There are quite a lot of families now that are going through that. The estrangement of their child, because the child has been indoctrinated with this idea that parents who will who live in reality and will not accept the delusion 
And parents who will not agree to these dangerous interventions are horrible, awful, transphobic people that you just need to cut out of your life. Right. Here is Abigail Martinez, Ellie's mother, um, talking about her daughter. My daughter was murdered by a gender ideology. CPS took my daughter when she was 16 years old. It was helped by her public school counselor and LGBTQ group rise in another trans-identified girl. My daughter was taken from her loving home because the state of California claimed I was abusive uh, for not affirming her trans identity. I lost my daughter over a name and a pronoun. My daughter was not a boy trapped in a girl's body. He had mental health issues. And it's true of so many of them. They just don't care what the other issues are in the way that we, you know, if you go in there and you are a perfectly healthy looking girl and you say, I think I'm a boy, they'll say you're a boy. If you go in there, you're a perfectly healthy looking girl and you say, I'm fat, I'm fat and I need to lose 100 of my 120 pounds. They will say, let's talk about your other issues. They will not accept, they will not affirm, but in this one lane, there's only one accepted course of treatment and it's just to affirm the delusion. And Megan, my professional organizations and my board of medicine is telling me that I must do the same and is telling me that when I tell a patient of mine that she's a girl and she will always be a girl, she may feel like a boy and I want to try and understand that with her but she is a girl and she will always be a girl, um, then that is something that I could be investigated for. Uh, believe it or not, that is the world that we're living in. So How are you parents- getting away with being so outspoken on this issue? Have you <laughs> had any pushback? Well, sure, there's pushback. You know, I, I'm on my own. I'm not part of a clinic or a hospital. Um, I have my own private practice. And uh, I'm I'm taking a risk by doing this, uh, but it's it's a risk I'm willing to take. But many people are not. I get emails from many many professionals, um, psychiatrists, social workers, psychologists that uh, are too fearful to do this. And uh, I get it. I don't like it. I think that they should do it even if they are fearful. But that's the way our things are right now. There are others quite a few others speaking up. And every day there's going to be more people speaking up. Um, You know, this is just, there's no medical basis to any of this. And I'm speaking again, I'm speaking about the teenagers. You know, there's different groups who have gender dysphoria, but I'm speaking now about the thousands and thousands of kids. There's a, uh, the percent increase in the past 10 years is about 5,000% increase and the number of kids, mostly girls, who are presenting and insisting that they are or they want to be the opposite sex. Um, so just getting back to Abigail and the parents. So Abigail is one of the heroines uh, you know, of this saga. She is standing up. She's telling her story. She's testifying in, in uh, court. Uh, and, and as you know, California uh, passed a 
resolution uh, that stated a few months ago, since we last spoke, Megan, they passed a resolution in their state legislature, which says that calls upon courts, family courts, that when the judge is making decisions about custody or visitation uh, and is deciding between parents, you know, uh, that, that the judge should consider uh, the parent who is not going with the narrative, who is not affirming the new identity, the delusion, that that is uh, potential harm to the child. And that the parent who is going with the delusion and is promoting uh, you know, the placement of this child on the assembly line toward medicalization, that is in the best interest, they're saying, of the child. Now this, you know, parent, this is, this, this, right now, this is only in California, but this is going to be, go to many, many other states. And interesting, isn't it, that the parent who typically is against the affirmation and the medicalization are the dads. Uh, so, you know, we have many instances now of one parent is going to be even more alienated from the child. Uh, another family is going to be even more broken up and another child will be placed because of the courts, because of this legislation in California, more well, children. Wait, but, but Gavin Newsom refused to sign that one. No, that was a different one. Oh, I think it was this bill. I mean, there's been there's been a few. There's one that says um, you're emancipated when you when you leave the house and you go into a homeless shelter and then your parents have no right to know what you're doing or weigh in on it. But then this one where they said the parent could lose custody because uh, he's not affirming the, they They passed it in the state House and in the state Senate. And Gavin Newsom just refused to sign it in September. OK, I'm going to have to because check of politics. I think the one that was like a week ago with, that came out of Gavin Newsom's office was uh, he would not sign the one having to do with schools having to report gender transition. I'm pretty sure he refused to sign. I, we've we've covered okay. this extensively. Yeah, he refused to sign it. OK, uh, but he's okay. been in favor of virtually every one of these laws that makes it harder for parents to to keep an eye on, to know about, to you know do anything other than affirm the child's identity. And this is where the law is clearly going in these more blue states that are pushing this on us. They're fighting the bans. But now we've had some victories, right? The uh, there was the Sixth Circuit opinion coming out of Tennessee and another state saying the ban, the bans on cross gender hormones and treatments stand. They stand. We're going to enforce them. We had a decision out of the Eighth Circuit saying um, you cannot force the kids to say the other kids pronouns. That is not an OK thing to try to force on children too ambiguous, these laws and so on, which that's great. It's a free speech victory. I had a Supreme Court decision at the end of last term affirming the right to free speech on these kinds of issues. So we're making some headway, but not in your community. Your community's got its head in the sand, the psychiatric community, right? Saying none of it's happening. Affirm, affirm, affirm. Anybody who doesn't is a bigot. Okay. There are some positive signs within the mental health community. Um, I'm not yet jumping up and down in you know, victory, but there are some positive signs. Uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, which for years has just been, you know, just completely taken over by the crusaders in that organization. They did, uh, after a few years of refusing to consider a, uh, a resolution that was put forth by 
uh, two dozen members to re to relook at their policy on this issue. They have now said that they're going to take another look. Whether it's just you know words or real, mm. I don't know. I don't but, trust them. Well, uh, look, I'm trying to be hopeful. Uh, I don't trust them either. I don't trust them either. But uh, I think that more and more people, at least on the conservative side of things, I'm not saying that you know CNN and 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 NBC, you know, are 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 covering all. They're certainly not inviting me on there. Um, but there is more exposure to to our side and the parents. There's more and more documentaries. Um, they're speaking up, they're testifying, some of them, most of them we, we want to remain anonymous for their own reasons. The detransitioners are coming out of the woodwork. They are getting yeah. organized. They are speaking up. They are testifying. They have their they're suing. You know, they are suing. Yes, they are. The lawyers, finally, I've been waiting years. Where are the lawyers? I was always right. asking. Yeah. The lawyers. Do what you do are, best. Sue, this is what you love to do. Do it. Do it for these people who have been obviously harmed as minors. And it's it's not something that you can consent to a lifetime of infertility, of being unable to achieve climax, of, you know, having your breast chopped off, of having your penis chopped off. I mean, like this, it's insane to pretend that a child can ever give informed consent to any of that. I want to ask you one question on this. I mentioned this in passing on my show a couple of weeks ago, and it, the, it like took off with parents discussing this in on Instagram and elsewhere. Um, our pediatrician, we're, we're new to this pediatrician group because we just moved to Connecticut two years ago. Um, but they, and our kids are getting a little bit older now. Now we have a 14 year old, a 12 year old and a 10 year old. But the pediatrician said, you know, next year, I guess that'll be this year for our, our eldest and soon for our daughter. We're going to ask mom to leave the exam room at your annual physical. And I'm just going to have a private conversation with you, child. And I think that this is about sex, Ed. Like, are you having sex? You don't want mom to know. Here's what protection, is, you know, all that. But all these parents started chiming in saying, my kid told me they raised the gender issue. You know, are you sure you're a boy? Do you, you know, what, do you have any doubts about being a boy? What should, what do you think about this? Do, do you think it's okay to leave your 14 year old with a pediatrician alone without you there, you know, to say and ask about anything? Absolutely not. Unless this is a pediatrician that you know so well, you know, for years and you know where she or he stands on these various issues of sexuality and gender. Absolutely not. Of course, that's what they're at. They're asking, do you have sex with girls, boys, both or neither. And they're asking, um, do you identify as a girl, a boy, both, neither, or something else? Of course, that's what they're asking. That's what they're advised by their American Academy of Pediatrics to, to, to ask. And the oh. assumption is the assumption is made, Megan, that parents are uh you know, you know parents are just uh, uh not to be trusted and they are often on the wrong side of things and they have the the you know harmful backward uh homophobic transphobic ideas and uh that 
that that kids need somebody outside the family that they can be honest with and get the information that they need. So this is absolutely undermining parents, 100%. I would suggest people go to the website, the organization called uh, the American College of Pediatricians, which is a group uh, of, of pediatricians and other professionals that broke off from the American Academy of Pediatricians when they realized how far to the left that group was going. American College of Pediatricians, they just actually about a week ago, they they have a new website uh, on the whole gender issue. Uh, Fantastic website. It's called Gender Integrity, something like that. Gender not sure what it's called, but American College of Pediatricians. Wow. And that's so good to know. I'm so glad this exists. Yeah. You can get a referral to a pediatrician uh, on, you know, from those people and you can be sure that they are not going to insist on taking your child aside privately and influencing them in one way or the other. Uh, Mm. And there are pediatricians that might see your child virtually as well. Right. When you you can be there. I should ask you, I meant to, on the 17,000 parents who have the underground- I can't hear you. Um, oh, you can't hear me? Uh-oh. Hello? Hello? Can oh. you hear me now? Yeah, now can I can hear, me hear now? you. Okay, yeah. good. Um, on the 17,000 parents who are banding together and they're strict about letting people into the group, yeah, all, everyone's going to want to know how they get in. Anybody who's dealing with this right now is, is asking, what, what website yes. do I go to? How do I find the groups? Okay. There are so many groups. I don't want to give you like 10 groups, right? I'm going to give you just my website, miriamgrossmanmd.com. And then I have a tab with resources. And on those resources, you're going to find those groups that you can connect to. Okay, good. Thank goodness. People need it. My God, they need it. And and in case you think you don't need it, this story uh, was in the news. Is it just today? I'm trying to think when this hit. But it was, it was, um, hold on, let me find it. It's talking about the messaging that's going out to schools. Oh, yes, Los Angeles Unified School District. I believe that's the largest public school district, possibly even in America, definitely in California. And City Journal reported a week ago, not even, that this school district is announcing it's going to be celebrating National Coming Out Day in elementary classrooms during the week of October 9th through 13th. That's coming up. That's next week, October 9th, National Coming Out Day. What is this? Speaking of glitter moms, um, it's to celebrate LGBTQ plus uh, history month, which they say is October. And they want to reinforce with the elementary school children uh, what to them for them to be thinking about their race, ethnicity, gender identity, religion, sexuality, and mental health. The purpose is to teach them about intersectionality, where you can check one or more, two or more of those boxes. Um, the document also promotes two famous transgender people that they want the schools to discuss with elementary school children each day of the week. These famous people include Jazz Jennings and Elliot Page. Elliot was, of course, formerly known as Ellen Page and starred in the movie Juno. Jazz Jennings has, <laughs> this is somebody who was, this is a boy who's trying to transition to girl 
and has documented the whole thing on a, a reality TV show. And they, this boy has had several botched surgeries, has been through hell. But they want that's not going to be disclosed. They want to celebrate Jazz living up to his true, I guess they'd say her true gender identity. And they're foisting this on elementary school system or children in the largest school district in the nation. Okay. Well, Megan, none of us should be surprised. This is a crusade. And they will stop at nothing. This is a crusade. And I I know that people don't expect me to say this as a doctor. This is evil. It's just plain evil. Okay? There's it's not a black it's a it, it's not nuanced. It's not it's a for me it's a black and white issue. It is simply evil to indoctrinate kids with these falsehoods, with these lies. Jazz Jennings as much as Jazz appears female because he was uh put on uh you know blockers and hormones at a very early age and so jazz does appear to be a female jazz is not is is not a woman now we are indoctrinating kids with these lies and we are encouraging them down a dangerous path we are luring them with the promise that if they go down this path, they will be happy and popular and fit in, and they will be their authentic selves, and they will have wonderful lives. Now, just to get back to jazz for a second. Jazz, it's well known because jazz mentions this quite often, the long list of mental health issues that jazz suffers from. Uh, anxiety, depression, panic attacks, not feeling secure about who he is. There was one scene that was so telling between Jazz and his mother in which he was just weeping and saying to her, you know, I just want to be who I am. I it's, you know, I'm, I just want to be who I am. In other words, I don't know who I am. Poor Jazz. It's just such a tragic story. And to put this person up in front of uh, preschoolers, which which they do because Jazz wrote that book, I Am Jazz, in which he says, I, uh, I, I was born uh, with a girl's brain and a boy's body. As if that is possible. That is not possible. We are not Legos. We are not Mr. Potato Heads that can be improperly assembled. So um, it is evil. We are luring these kids down a dangerous path. Each one of them, by the way, not to get into the money because I'm not the money expert here. If you want to talk about money, Jennifer, Jennifer Bilek is the person. Yeah, she's she's coming on. She was booked. We had to Switch it oh. for uh, I can't remember breaking news, but she's oh, definitely I'm coming so, out. She's done yeoman's work. I'm so work happy. I mean, yeah. I don't know who that guy was that Tucker Carlson had. Complete unknown, as far as I know, no qualifications. Basically, just regurgitate. You know, all of Jennifer's her, work. Her okay, work. I'm not gonna. Yeah. 
it's just wrong. So I'm glad that you're having her on there. So we are um, enticing these little kids with rainbows and glitter and unicorns, and it is simply evil. And, And by the way, they're very open about wanting to have access to our children at the youngest age. Not only do we see this in the Los Angeles public school system, there's this group called High Tops, which whatever's left of Project Veritas decided to investigate. And they got this so-called youth-focused LGBTQ uh, nonprofit on camera, their executives talking about how critical it is to get to them when they're young. Got to get in there while they're young. Here's a little bit of the clip. The most critical time to be there is grades five through eight because you want to catch kids when they're starting puberty because that's the time in which identity formation is central to their lives. However, early intervention is key. So we actually are designing a kindergarten through grade two curriculum this summer. And I will tell you, one of the most rewarding experiences, Nikki, uh, we were in a local school system in an elementary school and uh, we were in grades three, four, and five. And after we were there, um, five students went to the principal's office and came out. So we are really intentionally going into younger and younger grades. Oh, what do you make of that? Get your kids out of these schools, parents. Just get them out. Do whatever you have to do. Homeschool, you know, move, move away. This is poison. That's what we did. You, oh, we that's did. this is did. a New Jersey group. This is a New Jersey group. But there, this was happening at our schools in New York City, private schools where they were pushing the agenda. You have to be so vigilant as a parent and figure out what group's coming in. What's the messaging going to be? Sex ed is not what it used to be. Kindergarten, for God's sake. You're not thinking about this in kindergarten. Well, no, you've got to you've got to be thinking about it before kindergarten. And in fact, I give parents in my book so many tools, Megan, in which they, you know, they have to reach the child first. The other the side, parents. the proponents of this, yeah, the proponents of this are going after your child. You need to reach your child first. If you don't, I I prompt, trust me, they're just waiting to reach your child as you just, you know, demonstrating. So, so the parents have to reach their child early with the message that, yes, we are all either boys or girls. And we are boy, either a boy or a girl from the first moment that we ever existed. It's not a random hit or miss designation that's made in the delivery room by some doctor or nurse as if they could just make a random mistake. No, this is in every single one of your cells from the moment of conception. And we want our children to understand that it's permanent and it is wonderful. And that there are all different kinds of boys and different kinds of girls. And if you don't fit in with, you know, the stereotypical behaviors and interests, that's fine. Everyone is a mosaic and we have to celebrate that mosaic of male and female without harming the body. That is the message you have to reach your child with early on. Mm, You've got to, even though it's awkward, you may think your kid's too young they're coming for them. So you got to get there first and play defense. Stand by. Dr. Grossman stays with us. Isn't she a gem? What a treasure you are. So glad to have you here today. Parental rights are being used to thwart any rights of 
autonomy that the kid might have. And I'm sorry, but kids do have autonomy. We've already established this. For example, if a kid needs a blood transfusion and the parents don't want to, it's not the parent's right to refuse that blood transfusion for that kid because it is life-saving. In the same respect, if a kid only needs to like use a different name and pronoun in school, there might be a reason and a good reason they're not coming out at home and they need a safe place to be themselves. And so to hell with this idea of parental rights when it comes to kids who have their own consent and then their own bodily autonomy and their own autonomy to their personhood that need to be protected. Okay. It's a trans activist uh, on camera, courtesy of Libs of TikTok, came to our attention, who obviously has nothing like Miriam Grossman's pedigree. She's a psychiatrist, and you've got these armchair wannabe psychiatrists trying to do what you do uh, with a bunch of nonsense. Uh, She has not authored, as Dr. Grossman has, the new book, Lost in Trans Nation, A Child Psychiatrist's Guide Out of the Madness. And I would like to correct my use of the term she. That appeared to be a he pretending to be a she. So what about child autonomy and comparing this to a blood transfusion? No, no, this is all about uh, the state taking over, uh, uh, you know, the parents role. It's it's about, uh, you know, takes a village to raise a child. No, it takes a nuclear, strong nuclear family to raise a child. And. you know, the argument there about the blood transfusion, uh, what she or or he is referring to is probably those extremely rare cases in might, uh, for religious reasons, oppose blood transfusions. And so uh, it might be, you know, taken in front of a, a judge on an emergency basis. I actually saw something like that when I was uh, working in pediatrics many years ago. Um, but but the, the, this is nothing. No. It's it's ridiculous. Okay, it's just BS. Um, You you know, the the these families that we're talking about here in almost every case, these are not abusive families. These are loving and devoted parents that live in reality and understand that their child has been sucked into this system, that uh, this cult uh, that has, uh, convinced them of uh, of this delusion. It's a delusion for a child or anyone for that matter to think that they are, or can change their sex. There are people that can try and do that, but what they achieve is just a synthetic persona. They do not become an actual man or woman. But Megan, I know that we only have like a minute left and I want to finish by just calling out to parents, the parents that are going through something like this right now in their families. I want to tell them that they're not alone. Parents who uh, who are choosing the only rational and 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 healthy path, which is to resist the delusion and resist all the organizations and the groups that are promoting the delusion. You are not alone. And there's so much help that's available to you. And I wrote this book, uh, uh, Lost in Trans Nation. I used, you know, I put my heart and my soul into it because I saw there was such a tremendous need uh, for parents to have tools and information 
to help navigate this ordeal. And parents who have not yet, or parents who don't enter the, who are not in this ordeal right now, they need to plan to, uh, they need to inoculate their families against it. And my book also provides that inoculation. So I- There's nothing I'm, else I'm, like it. I mean, I've been following the literature on this and I've been reading it all. There's nothing else like this. This is the book we needed, parents. It's lost in transnation. I have no financial stake in this. I, I'm just a huge <laughs> fan of Dr. Grossman. Lost in transnation, read it, prepare. I mean, you have to take responsibility now. Remember when we had on the parenting expert and he was saying, once, they, once they're over the bridge on this, it's very hard to do anything. Now's the time. And by the way, the website that Dr. Grossman was talking about earlier from the College of American Pediatricians is biologicalintegrity.org. Miriam, thank you so much for being here. God bless you for all the work you do. Thank you, Megan. God bless you too. Oh, what a gem. Uh, before we go, next week, I want to tell you, we'll be joined by Senator Ted Cruz, Senator Rand Paul, Dr. Drew, and the guys from Ruthless. What a week. Uh, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.